Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Jake in the Paint podcast. On the line, I have NBA guy Sam Herbst back back home for Thanksgiving break. So, you know, we had to do the pod. Say what's up, Sam. Yeah, hey, what's up, guys? Um, happy to be on some good, consistent Wi-Fi now that I'm able to do the podcast without any problems. But um, good to be back. NBA season's off to a hot start, so mm-hmm. I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, first off, I mean, before we get into it, just... How's school? How much basketball are you watching? First semester as a sophomore, and how's ever just have how's everything going in general? Yeah, school's good. Um, I was at the Barclays Center a couple nights ago to see Wisconsin basketball lay a couple eggs against Richmond, <laughs> and then um, against New Mexico the following night. So I'm not so happy with that, but school's been going great. Um, I've been able to use central time to take advantage of some of the yeah. late games. Been watching a lot of Clippers and a lot of those teams that I don't usually get to watch when I'm at home, but um that's definitely a positive. So been able to watch a lot of different NBA and um it's been a really exciting season. Um, especially with Luca and all the new things that are happening this year. So really interesting and really good start. How about you? How you doing? I mean senior year, high school is going great. Basketball season just got underway, so you know everything gets a little bit more busy now. But I don't have the benefit of the extra hour. And as soon as you move away from the East Coast and go away from the East Coast, you realize how much it's the worst time zone. So everything kind of just crammed, going late, trying to manage schoolwork, basketball, watching basketball, all that stuff. Busy, but can't complain. Everything's going well right now. But you mentioned just a ton of great storylines in the NBA. Um. It was really hyped up this summer to be like a great NBA season because we didn't have the Warriors. Now we certainly don't have the Warriors as the title favorite. Um, got off, got away from that with the whole China debacle that happened. But I think it's kind of returned to the actual basketball product. Um, first off, I texted you to talk about Luca. Like I, Luca, when they drafted him when he was a rookie last year, he was one of my favorite players in the league. And then he's just r- taken the title and ran with it. I'll watch him anytime he's on. I can. And he's just flat out awesome. What are your Luca takeaways? Yeah, I mean, I have been um, super impressed by Luca, and I think that obviously with the professional experience coming into the league, um, I thought he was always a good bet to win Rookie of the Year. But did I expect um, this in his second year? Absolutely not. Um, I think it's really the uh, the little things that have helped him make this crazy jump from year one to year two. Just incredibly high uh increase in like field goal percentage and mm-hmm. um free throw percentage just his shooting is much better and um you feel like he kind of has fit into his into his build and kind of um is not pl- trying to play outside of himself um something i've like really been impressed with is how like um on the national tv broadcast last night they compared him a little bit to James Harden um just because of how he isn't really going to dominate you athletically like a Giannis or LeBron, but he'll kind of use his, his craftiness and his, his instincts, his ability to decelerate as well as accelerate, um, to kind of find the holes and create for others. So something I've really been impressed about is, um, how he's able to do that and make the players around him better. Because I think without a doubt, he's taking this Mavericks team to places where the roster doesn't really say that they'll be going. So um, I think Luca's definitely making the people around him better. Um, and at the same time, drawing a lot of attention to himself with all these monster numbers, 40-point triple doubles, all that fun stuff. But he's really taking the big jump, and 
Um, it's really exciting to see, especially because a lot of people didn't think he could sustain it. Yeah, um, I think you hit on all points. And as someone who has an affinity for smart basketball players, Luca just checks all the boxes. It feels like he literally makes the right decision every single time. And that's just what has to jump out at you for year two. Like we're talking about first and second year guys, even third and fourth year guys that just struggle still with the feel and pace of the game, manipulating the, like he's not even, he's beyond adjusting to the pace. He's manipulating defenses every single night. And that's just been a joy to watch. And I mean, covering the draft, I've gotten into the draft a lot more when Luca was coming out. I I was a part of it. I I love the draft because like you love all levels of basketball and that's just where they intersect. But now that I'm covering it even more, I'm watching overseas guys. We have a couple, there's a couple in this year's class and like these guys are going to be top 10 picks and they're getting like six minutes a game in the EuroLeague just because they're unplayable at that level. And not only was Luca playing, he literally won MVP of the EuroLeague championship. So to think that he wasn't a safe bet to at least be a very, very good NBA player just doesn't add up to me. But again, the, the jump in the second year is just incredible, and, and I just don't think he's anywhere near his ceiling yet, and that's something we'll talk about. But first, we have to talk about how he found his way in Dallas in the first place. Atlanta had the third pick, and before we get to the trade, I want to talk about the Suns and the Kings. Where is this, when it's all said and done, where is this going to rank on just all-time NBA botches in terms of passing up the draft? Like, obviously, Michael Jordan goes three, Luka goes three, where is this going to be when it's all said and done? How are the Suns and the Kings right. going to be viewed I at the am, end of the day? Um, definitely not um, giving up on Aiton or Bagley uh, for sure. But I think I still am holding out hope on those guys. I mean, it's been one year in the league. It's definitely not fair to judge someone before the rookie contract's over or anything like that. But um, yeah, I I think there is a world in which which the Suns kind of implode and. The Kings don't really know what they're doing. And you can look at a guy like KD who's taken um, second overall. And you can kind of start to make some of those comparisons just because of the immediate success that uh, Luca is having right away. Um, I don't think we're there yet. I think we still have to wait like three or four years. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that him not going first overall is – was less of a indictment on his talent, but more of a kind of phil- philosophical standpoint taken by the front offices. Maybe they didn't have faith in the in the non-athletic white guy from over from uh, abroad or anything like that. But I think that yeah, in three or four years, we could look back at this if Luca has an MVP under his belt or something like that. I think that you could start taking this as one of those big um, draft night mistakes, you could put it in the same category. Yeah. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot here too much, but Suns and Kings both passed on him. Suns look like they're actually in a pretty decent spot right now. The Kings, I'm a little skeptical about just because they have a lot of money tied up in their core. I don't think they're going to be able to pay Bogdanovich what he wants. And this is kind of the team they're going to have to roll with. Out of those two teams, though, given the circumstances and given the future looking ahead, which one of those teams do you think is going to regret it more? Yeah, I um, I think that the Suns are in an interesting spot, but I am not yet in the position to put faith in like the Suns front office or anything like that. 
I think the Kings have a good mm-hmm. thing going. And like you mentioned, Bogdanovich, he'll be one of the more interesting stories of um, restricted free agency with kind of a dull summer coming for the NBA compared to last summer. But in terms of who is going to regret it more, I am going to have to say that the Kings are going to regret it more. Not not just because um, Aiton, comparing Aiton to Bagley or anything like that, but um, in terms of what, in terms of what uh, Luca could have done for Sacramento, comparing that to what Luca could have done for Phoenix, I think if Luca goes to Phoenix, then you have this weird uh, ball control dilemma between Booker and Luca, and does Luca get the full reins, and is he able to is he able to play um, is he able to play like next to these guys and um, I think if he goes to Sacramento, it's a completely different story with with the shooters they have um, at all different positions. And um, playing next to Buddy would be really fun uh, for Luca, especially because right now he's playing next to a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, just um, a guy like Buddy who is willing to take 21 threes a game like he did the other night. I think I would love to see Luca mm-hmm. play with someone like that. So I'm going to say the Kings, not because of – uh, not because of necessarily that I think Aiden or Bagley is better or worse than each other, just because the Kings had the second pick, um, and they could wait yep. to see what Phoenix did, and Luca would have been such a good fit in that in that offense with that style. So I'm gonna have to say the Kings on that one. I'm going right. to disagree with you slightly, only for a couple reasons. Um, I don't think I would die on a hill for this. This isn't a take I'm like super strongly confident about, but one factor that we haven't mentioned yet is that the Suns basically had the biggest in to Luka in their head coach at the time, Igor Kaskarov. I think that's how you say his name. Kaskarov. He was Luka's Serbian national team coach, and I apologize for butchering his name. Um, He was their head coach at the time, and he knew Luka better than anyone. Like I am hard-pressed to think he wasn't telling them that Luka is going to be a star. That is just a huge miss on, I think, Ryan McDonough's part. Literally having the ultimate inside access and in to Luka, knowing everything about his game, not just his game, but tendencies. They had it all right there, and they still passed on him for a center who we'll see how good he really is and how high his ceiling is. Also, I'm going to disagree. I think the Luka, I think the Luka Booker fit would have been better than the Luka Fox fit. I love Fox, and we're going to talk about him later on. I think Booker and Luca's ability, I think Luca is an on-ball guy, 100%. And I think Booker is a lot more valuable off the ball with his shooting, the way he can attack closeouts, and just you have to respect him as a shooter and a bucket getter, rather than Fox is more, he's going to have the ball in his hands all the time. He wants to run. Like Luca, he doesn't run a lot. Like a lot of his buckets are in the half court, isos, pick and rolls, lobs, all that. So I'm, I think the Booker... Luka fit would want to, would be one of the most enticing things in the NBA right now if they were together, and I just think that's going to hunt yeah, hard Suns fans my, for years to come. I think my Booker take was a little selfish just because how much I enjoy um, watching Booker as a creator instead of just a run-around, spot-up shooter kind of thing. And they never really got him the point guard to where they could use him as a guy who plays like Clay or something like that. But um his, the yeah. roster yeah. structure and the roster um, situation that he's in kind of forced him to develop that role as 
a as more of a creator and playmaker um, for the Suns team this year. Uh, and I think his with the assist numbers going up over the last two years, and um, I think he's kind of evolving into a player that people didn't really project him becoming, um, which is really interesting to mm-hmm. me and um, something that I think is really unique playing next to a guy like Aiton when he comes back um, from his suspension. Uh, obviously, there are a couple pieces away, and the roster right now is made up of a lot of um, a mix of young guys who didn't really live up to pr- their potential and veterans who are kind of outplaying their their uh, their current ex- expectations. So the Suns are a really quirky, interesting team. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm going to agree with you that the inside track that the Suns had on Luka is it's an inexcusable mistake not to take Luka Doncic first overall. Yeah, fair enough. And this, honestly, the misconception a little bit, it wasn't just those two teams that passed on Luka. The Hawks, as we talked about, traded out of the third spot to move back two spots to five, and then they got a 2019, or, yeah, 2019 unprotected first rounder that becomes Cam Reddish. So, like we said, it's really early to judge the trade, and especially Cam, the way he's playing right now, it, it's a little bit, it would be a little bit too harsh to base the trade grade on his play right now, but the piece like the draft picks are now names. It's it was Trey Young and Cam Reddish for Luka Doncic, and I look at that and it's just hard for me to imagine that that's not a catastrophe for Travis Schlenk as much as yeah, I love Trey Young. I agree. I I love Trey Young. Um, I think he's really exciting and will fill up the stat sheet. But um, the way that Luka has carried his team to victories is puts him miles ahead of Trey in my eyes. Luca uh Trey's putting up these mm-hmm. numbers and um on the offensive end he's playing great. His defense has been a disaster. Uh and I think that partially has to do with how Atlanta trading back, a lot of it had to do with how was how was um Trey gonna fit into their roster philosophy going forward and they thought he fit in perfectly trying to do the whole mm-hmm. um Warriors East uh roster building. So of course looking back on it, a lot of teams might have done stuff differently, but um it's definitely one of the more interesting trades in draft history draft history. Yeah. It, and it's it's also really tough because I think if you ask Hawks fans, there will be Hawks fans that say, no, Trey's our guy. Like, Luca's great, but Trey's our guy. We love him here. And it's, I think it's going to take a couple of years of Luca just reaching that MVP level that I think he will eventually reach for everyone to realize, hey, we fucked up because we just passed on Luca. Like, I don't care what you have and that what you got in return. You had the chance, you had the rights to Luca Doncic and you gave it away. And like I said before, I just think that's catastrophic. But right now, I mean, I see people on Twitter all the time saying it's not a bad trade and the Hawks still got a good return. And yeah, if you could go back and maybe you would do things differently, but Trey has been unbelievable. And yes, he has, but just Luca's ceiling as a winner and a champion, a leader of a championship team is something that I'm skeptical that Trey has. And I think once that Atlanta roster kind of grows up and um, fills out, to surround Trey with more pieces that would benefit his game, some better wing defenders. And um, once these guys who they drafted um, develop and 
uh, I feel like that team's going to grow up. And I don't think Trey is at all one of the worst things they could have traded for. But, um, I mean, you look at Luka, this guy's yeah. having one of the best seasons in the NBA right now. Um, and it's kind of hard to compare them two years in when Luka's having this incredible year. Yeah, completely agree. Um, And like I said, the trade, it's going to be tough to completely evaluate it until each of them reach their ceilings. Speaking about Luka, where do you think he can get better and how much? Yeah, I think how many Luka, more levels does he have um, to get? has made some interesting, uh, interesting like improvements in areas that kind of go under the radar. His decision-making is, from what I've watched from year one to year two, is I think it's incredibly um, improved. And if you look at uh, where he's actually playing in terms of position-wise, he's playing less and less. You look at his position last year, he was playing um, over 70% or over 90% of his uh, minutes away from point guard. And now he's taken that this year and he's playing 76% of his minutes mm-hmm. at point guard, initiating the offense, playing with guys around him who could defend, who can shoot the ball and who don't necessarily need the ball to be effective. Um, he's taking incredibly less shots from the mid-range area and more shots from around the hoop and three-point range. So he's taking more threes, less mid-range, and more layups, which, um, as we know now, just results in that incredibly high PER and all those fun advanced metrics. Um, but that's all a result in his increased uh, decision-making in my eyes. And um, with that comes, um, if you compare, if you pair that with better shooting percentages, um, you're going to see the incredible year that he's having right now. So it's kind of the, mm-hmm. the perfect storm for him. Um, in terms of areas in which he can get better, um, I think the version of Luca you see now is very similar to the um, peak Luca version that we'll get going forward. I think if he develops into his body and becomes even more of an athlete, that's just even scarier for NBA defenses. Um, if he's able to use that big body to his advantage and mm-hmm. um, use his physicality um, to become more of a physical player as well as the finesse game he already has, you could see him becoming pretty close to unstoppable when it comes to point guards in the NBA right now. And um, you compare him to a guy, people like to compare him to Ben Simmons because they feel like it's a wing who's playing the point guard position, but I think they're completely different players. And um, Luca's ability to create for others and create for himself at the same time um, will make the Mavericks a problem in the West for hopefully tens of years. Yeah. I agree on all those things. I think on the surface, just looking at his sheer numbers, the one thing that obviously jumps out is, oh, he can improve his field goal percentage, right? Um, I don't, I'm not so sure. Like, if you look at, I think Luke is a good shooter. I don't think he's a great shooter. And just right now, he's shooting 33% from three on, he's got 9.3 attempts per game. So like, and none of, basically none of his attempts are catch and shoot. They're all off the dribble. A ton of them are step backs. Like those are really, really difficult shots. And you see a guy like James Harden right now, who I don't think Luca will get to that volume. Harden's jacking up like 14 a game right now, but Harden's percentages are still in the mid to even low thirties. Um, he's having down year right now, but if you look at the past years and average him out, that's about the range he'll be in. I think the biggest way that Luca can continue to improve 
is just athletically. Like I think he visibly caught a lot of baby fat from last year, this year, and his just burst and explosiveness is so much better because he's beating his primary defender more, like even more cleanly, drawing the help. And then, like we said before, he's just lethal when he's has multiple defenders on him because he always knows where to go with the ball. And I just think he has a little bit more athletic upside to tap into in terms of just lateral quickness, burst, and all that stuff. But I do agree with you as it, as like this is somewhat of the guy we're gonna see. Um, I just think, and like you look at a guy like LeBron, LeBron just consistently has gotten better year and year, and like every every year he gets better. And LeBron, his game is fueled by a lot of things, but one of the driving factors is just his feel and IQ, and that just gets better every single year. Like he just reads things better, and now he's averaging career high at eleven assists. Like Luca. And his decision-making is fueled by his feel. And he's only 20 years old. And this is his second year in that league. So I th- I'm just hard-pressed to think that his feel can't get even better, even though that's like unfathomable to think. I just think feel and athleticism are the two places that he's just going to keep getting right. better and at. And you look that's at, just I said his decision-making was getting better. Um, it's not, I, I don't think it's as best as he can get. And you look at this era of, as I mentioned, like analytics and taking the best shots and stuff like that. And James Harden right now is the only guy in the NBA who's taking um, more than 10 free throws a game and more than 10 three-pointers a game. Um, he's taking he's taking 14 th- free throws a game mm-hmm. and 14 three-pointers a game, which is crazy. Um, Luka's not that far behind. He's taking nine and nine. So, that's absurd. Um, that's pretty scary for a guy who's 20 years old. And mm-hmm. um, there's, not that, there's not many guys in the league who are um, doing anything close to that. Uh, you look at a guy like, Jimmy Butler, who gets to the line a lot, he doesn't take that many threes and stuff like that. So um, Luca's kind of developing into this creation of the analytics era to where they're taking this this player and the coaches and the, the media and everyone's molding him, I feel like, to become this kind of analytics poster child. And um, it's working out pretty well so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we're all looking ahead to where he can go in the next couple of years, but right now he's pretty damn good. And we've been talking about that for the past 20 minutes, the Mavs right now, they're coming off a bad loss to the Clippers who I think are the best team in the league. Where, how scary are they in the playoffs this year? Cause I do, I'm very confident saying they're a playoff team, but where can they go this yeah, year? In I playoffs? think, um, the West itself, um, you look at the West, you have a, I think you have a clear first tier of teams in uh, Utah, Houston, Clipper, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Nuggets, in no particular order. Um, and then that second tier of teams, um, mm-hmm. I think, is going to be where the fight really is. And um, teams like Minnesota, Dallas, Sacramento, um, the Pelicans, OKC, teams like that. I'm not going to count out the Spurs, but um, I think the Mavericks, if they were to get to the playoffs, have um have to become a team that can rely on the duo of Porzingis and Luca to carry them through games and carry them through series and um something I've been really interested obviously as a Nick fan is um trying to take what Luca's doing and um see how it could be better and how can Porzingis be better next to Luca and um just watching the game last night and watching a couple of Mavericks games in the past Kristaps has always been the center of attention in New York, and um, with Luca getting a lot of the ball dominance and stuff like that, Kristaps is, I feel like, more of a 
spot up shooter. Um, he plays often next to guys like Maxi Kleber and Dwight Powell. Um, he's doing less, I feel like less pick and pop like he did in New York and more of kind of, and more, uh, just standing around waiting for his opportunity, waiting for, waiting for other guys to create for him. So, um, mm-hmm. I think the Mavs will sneak into the bottom half of the playoffs, but for them to make an impact, um, I feel like they're kind of getting lucky with how some of these role players are playing. Um, I, I mean, you look at guys on the Mavericks right now who are, I think, playing better than uh, what they were expected to play. Guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. and DeLon Wright, guys like that who have been able to sustain these wins and um, make up for some lackluster performance out of their duo. Uh, not that Luke is playing bad or Chris Stops is playing that bad, but mm-hmm. I think Chris Stops needs to be better for them to make a, a push in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly where I was going to go with this. Uh, it's tough with Porzingis. He was out 20 months, and he's this is these are his first 20 games in that span. A 7'3 guy coming off a horrible injury. Like, I think next year's the Mavs year, just because like, Luka's only going to get better. They'll figure out their roster, and Porzingis like, has this year to ease into it. As much as I love Luka, and I think he's dominant, and like I think he could be dominant in the playoffs. I just think they don't, I think, I don't think Porzingis can provide enough for them this year. Um, I like the role players. I'm a big fan of DeLon Wright, Jalen Brunson, Dorian Finney Smith has done some good things for them. But when push comes to shove, like you're going to need that star power. And I am, I'm with you. I don't yeah, think that's Porzingis also can provide it, him with, provide it for them. Systems and um, in New York, he was getting a lot of those mid range looks and um, a lot of the offense ran through him at the high post and stuff like that. So uh, just mm-hmm. kind of, of like, getting placed in a system that suits the modern NBA better. Uh, It's going to be really interesting to see how the Porzingis-Doncic combination evolves over the season Um, and just to see how Kristaps kind of uh, is able to fit into this new system where he's not necessarily uh, going up against a guy who's six inches shorter than him and he's not shooting over him. It's more of a can you hit the open three and um, if they're playing up on you, can you go buy him? Stuff like that. So it'll be really interesting to see um, what Kristaps can do because I really think he's the key to this team um, being a force when it comes to uh, games over the summer and games in May and June, stuff like that. Yeah, um, I'm agreed on all fronts. Last Luca question before we wrap it up and move on. The question that's everywhere on every social media account, every Reddit thread, if you're starting your franchise with one guy right now, and I think it's reasonable to narrow it down to um, Luca and Giannis. I want to hear you go first you on taking? this one because I'm really interested. I've been really interested to hear what you're going to say on this one. Um, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment here, but I'm going to say Luca, and for the through the lens of I'm trying to win a championship, and at the end of the day, when they're both at their peaks, I think Luca gives me. Um, better chance to win a championship due to his play in May and June than Giannis will. Um, I'm I'm not completely convinced that Giannis not being able to shoot. Like I watched the rap. It was Raptors or I mean Bucks. Who did they play? Bucks Blazers. It was on TNT. Blazers were completely shorthanded. And look, Giannis is absolutely incredible. I'm not denying that. But like 
the shot is a real issue. I love that he's taking them. I would prefer that Simmons would follow the honest lead and just take three a game, make them respect you and 22% go in. Then, Hey, that's what it is. Like, I like that he's taking them, but the point of the matter, like he can't shoot right now and it's really, really ugly. And last year that affected them in the playoffs. Um, I'm not, and maybe a little bit premature to take Luca because we've seen like Giannis got the MVP last year and I don't even think he's close to his peak. But at the end of the day, I think Luca is just when he figure like when he reaches that peak, which I don't know when it's going to be. I just think he's going to be absolutely dominant in the playoffs, and I just think he's just going to be a better bet to help you win a championship, along with the playoffs. And I think the roster flexibility with Luca, um, it's tough because he handles the ball a lot. So you tried to play him with more like the only guy you can't really play him with is a ball dominant point guard. But still, I think. The, the roster flexibility, he can throw lobs, he can throw the pitch, like you can play him with the rim, like they you can play him with Cleaver or Dwight Powell, they can dive to the rim, you can play him with shooters. I j- and the Giannis stuff, it'll it's a little bit worrying, like when especially when I look at the Bucks this year, there's so, such a focus on space that they need to create for Giannis that I just I'm really worried about that they don't have any other creators on the team except for Eric Bledsoe, and we know how he does in the playoffs. So in terms of just Playoff play and roster flexibility. Those yeah, are the two so things gonna, that I'm going to side with Giannis here. I'm going to take the um, other side. I was kind of expecting you to say Luca, um, but I think uh, Giannis has. I think it's unfair to compare Giannis um, just because of how much he's developed physically and how much his game has changed since he entered the league. Um, he still is. Uh, he still is young. He's not Luka young, but he's still one of these players that you could definitely build around. And um, in my opinion, Giannis is um, a physical freak. And that is not just because his nickname's the Greek freak or anything like that, but just watching games mm-hmm. in person with Giannis, um, which I've been lucky to do because they're so close to Madison and Milwaukee. Um, and just watching Giannis on TV too, you can see how, how, dominant and how he takes over a game and I think that with Giannis um as your franchise centerpiece this is a this is a brand of basketball and a um guy who we've never seen anything like him and he's really going out of his way and with the help of that coaching staff and um trying to that organization is very analytically focused and um I think that he's first had to discover who he was in his career I think that's what he spent the first couple years of his career doing. Um, you look at a guy who, um, when he came into the league at 19, was um, playing positions like point guard and um, or playing positions like small forward and shooting guard and played some point guard in his third year. And um, it took a little uh, trial and error by the time he turned 22, 23 to discover who he was. Um, but now that I think he's kind of grown into himself and He's starting to realize how good he can really be. It's it's pretty incredible to watch. Um, in my eyes, he is developing the three point shot. I don't know how reliable that be, that'll become uh, the playoffs this year, but I think going forward, when you say starting a franchise, I think um, I'm gonna have to side with Giannis just because of uh, you can't teach the one thing you can't really teach is the physical attributes and. Um, any lineup that Giannis is in, you can really tailor it to play any different kind of style of basketball. And 
Um, he doesn't really need the ball in his hands that much to be that effective. He can do other things on the defensive end. He could pl- he could guard mostly every position, and um, he's one of the best defensive players in the league. He he's coming off an MVP season and just getting better. Um, he's improved nearly every category this year in terms of scoring, um, passing, rebounding, defense. Um, I think watching Giannis is um, incredible, and I think uh, I think I'm gonna have to side with Giannis just because of um, I think we've never seen anything like him in the NBA. Yeah. Um. I once again can't hold you. I probably should have prefaced that with like I genuinely think this is the toughest question to answer in the NBA right now. Um, there's just a million different ways you could go with it. But one thing I am really glad you brought up is the defense because that's what led me to be this close, like really close to picking Giannis because there's just a roadmap where he becomes one of the most dominant two-way players to ever play the game. Um, like he can guard anyone, and in transition, he's absolute freak. I like there's no denying that. Um, all the reasons you said are right, and I pondered all of them. Like gun to my head, I'm picking Luca, but yeah, once think, again, like um I just think it's the league, you can't you can go wrong kind of with project him into the uh three and D role and hope they develop the other elements that will make them into a good player. You look at a guy like Cam Reddish coming out of the draft this year, people would say, Oh, he could be a he could be a a productive three and D wing right now and then he'll develop the other parts of the offensive game. And with Giannis, I feel like it's kind of the opposite to where he has this this insane superhuman ability to drive past what it feels like anybody in the league and dunk on anyone in the league and he has this crazy game um inside on offense and he can defend with the best of them so it's kind of the opposite with Giannis to where um he's trying to develop that three-point shot and my favorite part about Giannis is that he is never going to be satisfied with how good he is and I think that's really scary because he knows that if he develops a three-point shot, then him and his team become pretty close to unbeatable to where you have a guy with that physical size and that physical ability who's who can shoot like that and who can create for others. Um, like his, his assist numbers um, in terms of like per 36 minutes have start at the beginning of his career at three are now at seven. Um, he rebounds. Incredibly, he's averaging 12 rebounds a game, um, which puts him in the top five in the league or whatever it is. I just think Giannis is this do-it-all superhuman who um, I would think you would be silly not to start your franchise around him. I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from Luca by saying that because we just talked about how incredible he is, but I'm a sucker for everything that Giannis can do. Fair enough. Then definitely cannot hold you. So moving on from Luca, looking at all the young guys impacting the league right now, I wanted to do a redraft of one of the most recent drafts, and the 2017 one jumped out right at me. Um, it's two years ago, so we have a decent sample size. We're not jumping to or to early conclusions. They're three years ago, technically, and it's still yeah, they're still young enough when we kind of can project forward. I think it's like the perfect time range to do this. So I'm going to read you the lottery and two other guys, because I think this is the pool of players you're likely going to choose from. I haven't seen your list, but we're going to do a top five redraft. So Philly takes Fultz at one, which we won't talk about. 
Lonzo, Lonzo goes two to LA. Boston takes Tatum at three. Phoenix takes Josh Jackson at four. Sacramento takes Darren Fox at five. Orlando takes Jonathan Isaac at six. The Bulls take Larry Markinen at seven. Knicks take, Fra- take Frankie Nidalekina at eight. Dallas takes Dennis Smith at nine. Um, Sacramento takes Zach Collins at 10, but then trades his rights to Portland. Malik Monk goes to Charlotte at 11. Luke Kennard, 12 to Detroit. Donovan Mitchell, 13 to Denver, and then traded to Utah. And then Bam Adebayo at 14 to the Heat. Um, two other players you might be considering. Jarrett Allen at 22 to the Nets. And Kyle Kuzma, 27 to Brooklyn, and then traded to L.A. So, um, so that's starting Frankie off with your first pick um, in that redraft, who do you have? Frankie Smokes. No, um, I love the fresh, the <laughs> French Prince of Bel Air, but I'm gonna have to go with Donovan Mitchell. Um, he has, um, from being taken 13 overall, uh, he's become what who I believe is uh, going into the season, going into next season. Um, he's just established himself as one of these uh, dominant players in the league, um, and he's doing it on a winning team, which I think is even more impressive. He's in a system that suits his play style. Um, he is uh, a lot of people's kind of dark horse MVP guy. Um, I mean, this year he's averaging 25 points, um, five rebounds, four assists. I think the assist numbers need to go up to consider him part of that elite group in the NBA. But I think without a doubt, he's the best player um, who has come out of this draft. And, um, some people might say Tatum, um, who I'll spoil. I have two, but some people say Tatum has the body and the frame to develop into a better player than Mitchell. But I just think um, from what I've seen in Mitchell, everyone said his rookie year was kind of a fluke and he wouldn't be able to sustain that over a second year and all that garbage. But he just gets better every year and the improvement is really exciting. He's up to 39% from three this year. He's really um good in clutch time and takes over the end of game so um without a doubt i say uh spider mitchell is my first overall pick so that's exactly who i wanted you to say because this is the dialogue that i wanted to have um not taking any way th- anything away from donovan mitchell uh, with the first pick in the redraft i have to go with jason tatum and the reason why is just the archetype that Jason Tatum has, this tall, lanky wing who can create for himself off the dribble, make catch-and-shoot threes, defend, and ultimately playmake off the dribble. Like That is the most important archetype in the NBA right now. And if you have one of those, like we saw Harrison, ba- Harrison Barnes get paid $22 million or $20 million, whatever it was, to be like a slightly above-average version of that. And... That's why that archetype is just so valuable right now. And the way Tatum's playing right now, I love, like, he is aware that he settled for mid-ranges way too much last year. His trainer, Drew Hanlon, has been very vocal about layups and threes. And yes, the finishing isn't there quite yet, but I like where he's going. He's getting downhill. The three-point shooting has been awesome, and I think his defense is wildly underrated. Like, he's been a very, very good defender this year for the Celtics, and just the potential that he has to play, make off the dribble, create for himself and just be that two way yeah, wing. Um, that's a little bit too much for me to pass I agree. up. I think Tatum, I mean, I had him too. And the space between him and Donovan was definitely not anything that big, but I think Tatum has to, uh, this, this 
number one overall kind of big dog alpha mentality that Spider Mitchell has is something that has really blown me away throughout the beginning of his career. How even during his rookie year, he was taking over at the end of games and putting the team on his back and now playing next to a guy like Mike Conley doesn't really need to create as much. And um, obviously Tatum is in a um, great system with Brad Stevens and playing next to guys like Kemba Walker. Um, He uh, doesn't really need to be that playmaker kind of guy, but um, yeah, Tatum's, as you said, archetype and um, projects to being this, projects to being in my eyes this this guy who can shoot the three get to the hoop create for others um but right now he kind of is i hope he isn't settling into this three and d um kind of position that a lot of people like to classify Mm -hmm. him as for his career i hope he um develops into a guy who can do more than that the guy who can create for himself get to the hoop and um really close out games Yeah, um, I mean, not a secret. I have Mitchell at two. I think those are the two clear-cut guys setting at the top of this class. And for all the reasons you said, like again, it's nothing against Mitchell. He's an absolute monster. The numbers are wildly encouraging, just consistently getting better. Points per game improved each year. Um, His three-point percentage is up, to, up 4% from his rookie year, up 2% from last year. So that's that consistent improvement. And his three-point attempts are actually down. One, they, They've consistently dropped a little bit, so I think he's getting more selective with his shots, jacking less, attacking more. And look, he's a beast. And like we've, like we saw it, he took over in a playoff series. Like That should not be discounted. However, I just think the two-way potential of Tatum is just a little bit too enticing on this one. But moving on from those two, because yeah, so, I think we're um, both kind of at the same place. Who do you I have, have Darren Fox. Um, I think that he is a guy who can really, I know his the team he's on and the guy who, guys who he's around um, will influence his numbers. But in terms of pure um, physical strengths and picking him coming out of the draft, I am a huge fan of, I'm a huge fan of Darren Fox. I think that he needs to improve some parts of his game, such as his uh, three point percentage. I mean, right now it's around 33%, but um just watching him, I mean, it was he played very well that night, but just seeing it against the Knicks and stuff like that, his physical traits of speed and quickness and um, decision-making in terms of creating for others and creating for himself as well, um, I think in terms of this draft, which I don't think is one of the strongest drafts um, that we've seen in the past couple of years, I think that Darren Fox is the next guy to go. Yeah, I uh, Fox there as well. Um, I think those were the clear top three guys. I think um, my fourth guy might have something to say in a couple of years, but right now I think those are the co- top three guys. Fox derailed by injury to start the year, which you hate to see, but I'm, I mean, I'm a huge fan of his game. Like he's wicked fast in transition. The scoring arsenal has continued to improve. He's a defensive menace. Um, I mean, like you said it, the three point shot is probably the biggest worry right now. A little worried about is just ha- general half court offense hasn't been that efficient and effective so far, but the jump he made from year one to year two was outstanding. Huge fan of his game. Love the charisma he plays with. And I think buddy, him and buddy are one of my favorite backcourts. So Fox was an easy choice for 
me at three. Yeah, so at four, really I think this is going to be an um, interesting choice. I who have, do you have here at four? There's a group of one, two, three, four, five, six guys who I was considering for these last two picks. Um, I'm going to stay strong with my number four. At four, I have Bam out of bio. Um, I, I love Bam. Um, I think that this is a guy who mm-hmm. when he was it. coming love into it. the league. Oh, what's a six nine center? What's a six nine center gonna do? Um he's not gonna be successful in the league. Um he his skills won't translate, he can't really shoot that well, blah, blah, blah. I um think that the way that Spolster has been able to unlock Bam is not necessarily a spread the floor kind of guy, but capitalizing on his strengths as um a guy who blocks shots and a guy who um a guy who blocks shots and is able to finish around the hoop. But my favorite part about Bam is this wrinkle that he's added to his game of being a playmaker um, and being able to create for others. He's averaging um, he's averaging 4.3 assists this year, which for a big man who was projected to play like him is pretty incredible to finish a stat line of 14, 10, and 4 um, compared to last year's uh, 9, 7, and 2. So he's just growing um, as a player and – his abilities will just he'll continue to get better in my eyes and um with more responsibility in the offense and a higher usage rate will come um the numbers and stuff like that but with the assist percentage going up and um blocks going up steals going up um he's becoming this kind of defensive uh powerhouse who um is definitely no slouch on the offensive end i mean he is only 6-9 so that gives him an advantage against some of the smaller big men that he'll go up against, but his athleticism on the defensive end and his ability to catch lobs really separates him and um, on the offensive end. So I think he stands out from that group of six that I referred to. Yeah, I, I have Bam at four as well. And I, I love Bam, love watching him play. Love the heat this year. I'm going to talk about them a little bit later. Like you said, Spo has just completely unleashed this menace um, Bam is fucking awesome. I love the energy he plays with. The ste- At 1.6 steals per game, 1.3 blocks per game, he's everywhere. The rim running is awesome. The playmaking is super incredible. You touched on it. Doubled his assist from last year, and he just looked really comfortable out there. He was my, pre- my preseason pick for most improved player of the year, and he's looking like a pretty good pick so far. He's just been absolutely awesome, consistently getting better every single year. And yeah, undersi- I, I think undersized centers are like an archetype that are going to get more utilized as we go, like as the, the years increase, like Brandon Clark, one of my favorite draft prospects from last year, kind of carries some of these same traits, like a little bit of playmaking, block shots, springy, can run the floor. Um, The days of these like 7-2 centers who you post up and they can just shoot over everyone with the post hook, it's a little bit daunt, like... Bam is just that freak athlete. He's strong. His hands are incredible. Yeah, I, I agree with um, the, I'm a huge fan. Love everything about him. I'm glad we both have him at four. Um, can jump with the best of them um, and also run faster than these lanky seven-footers um, are really going to, I think, increase in popularity and helps the team play fast, which everyone wants to do nowadays. But um, I was expecting us not to agree on that one, so I want to hear what you have for five. So um, let's see if we have the same person at five god I, uh, so for five i, thought, I, I, I thought have I jonathan isaac with that one, um i guess not you have jonathan isaac too 
<laughs> no. <laughs> so I guess just two educated and smart people can't do this. I guess that's what we're finding out. Um, Isaac is just, he's a menace. Like he is watching him play defense and look like the magic are a tough watch just because the offense is just absolutely brutal. Like I love Markel. I'm, I watch Markel. I root for him all the time. Like their offense has not even anything to do with Markel. Their offense just in general was absolutely brutal, but the defense is incredible. And that's led by John Isaac. Like he is everywhere on the court. Probably the one, I mean, definitely a candidate for defensive player of the year so far. And just the consistent improvement he's made each and every single year. The offensive arsenal is expanding. And yeah, I really, really like him. And I'm confident with him at five. Um, I think he also has room to climb what Bam and those other guys have shown so far. Like, I think it wasn't enough to put Isaac ahead of them. But with his ceiling, like if he can continue to expand that offensive arsenal, I think, like we talked about, that wing who can play two ways, guard anyone, create, switch. Like He's right up there in terms of potential. Um, Lonzo and Kuzma, um, Jared Allen, and Zach Collins um, were the other guys that were considering here. Mm-hmm. I think that in terms of projecting them into the future, Isaac is the best pick here. Obviously, he hasn't been the most productive out of that group um, so far in their NBA careers, but he's one of those guys when you're watching a game that the Magic are playing in, kind of like, who the hell, who, who is this guy? Who, who, who's, this, who's this 6'11 dude who is like, Second in the game, blo- yeah. NBA yep. blocks and um, shooting thirty nine percent from three. Like who? Who is this guy who can who can out athlete many guys on the floor? And um, obviously, he isn't there in terms of a creator or um, anything when it comes to that. But he's no slouch when it comes to scoring scoring the basketball. And um, on both on the defensive end, he is just, I think, one of the most like pleasant surprises in the entire league. So. Um, for many of the same reasons you mentioned, um, I got Jonathan Isaac, mm-hmm. 22 years old, 6'11", um, and can out-athlete many guys. Um, I have him going at 5'2". Yeah, um, he's a monster. I think when it's all said and done, looking back on this class, like I don't think it'll be as good as the 2018 class, but who knows? I mean, I think... Maybe this one, maybe this one's actually better. I, I think it's gonna, when we look back on this, just, I mean, I'm sure you've done this a million times, just looking back at all the old drafts. Like there's just so many people who don't even cut it in the league. And of course, you're gonna have some of those guys and it, you're starting to be able to figure out who they are, even from a draft that was three years ago. But just the potential with the five guys that we named, plus you got dudes like Kuzma, Jared Allen, Lonzo. Like I think yeah, when, I when it's all said and done, this draft guys, will actually look back and it'll um, be a decent one. We mentioned in the top five guys like Tatum, Bam, Isaac, guys who have who we think are nowhere close to their ceiling. So um, give it a couple of years, even give it closer to like five years. I think that this draft mm-hmm. has a lot more potential than I think people give it credit for. Yeah, I agree. So moving on from the draft. I want to talk about the East because the East is pretty intriguing. Yeah, I, I liked the Bucks. Who was your preseason East. finals um, pick? Did you have the Bucks before the season started? I mean, if we still had to do it today, I'd probably still pick the Bucks. But um, obviously, there are some dark horse teams. But yeah, the Bucks were still my my number one. So I picked the Sixers. Um, 
I'm going to ask you to put yourself in the shoes of someone who picked the Sixers um, preseason to I make the finals. I don't think it's time to be How too worried would you or be? Overly, uh, too worried or overly concerned right now. Um, I think the offense has been um, a pleasant surprise when all the guys are on the floor who they need to be on the floor and guys on the floor who will be playing in playoff time. Um, I think that when those guys are playing, the offense is good. The defense is even better. Um, so I think that the Sixers don't really have much to worry about. However, um, I think there's a lot more things that need to happen before um, this team can really challenge the Bucks or um, go into the finals and have a chance to win. Um, I think the first thing that needs to happen is Joel Embiid needs to kind of take that He's taken many steps in his career already, but I think he needs to take even more, even like another step towards becoming um, that guy who, when you put him on the low post, he is absolutely unguardable. And that will unlock better opportunities for more guys that I think need to improve. Um, someone on that list is a guy like Tobias Harris. So I think Tobias needs to be better and Joel needs to be better for them to really um mm-hmm win playoff series and be there in June. Um, but I think that kind of all starts with Embiid and um, he's so do- he can be so dominant when he wants to be and um, when his physical stamina and endurance lets him, he's really um, a problem when they use him right. And I think once he gets better, that will, like I said, make guys like Tobias better. But um, who I really wanted to focus on was Ben Simmons, um, just some interesting things I saw on Twitter the other day. Uh, I don't know if you follow Micah Adams on Twitter, but he was he was uh, tweeting about Ben Simmons the other night, basically saying, he said mm-hmm. in 34 clutch time minutes this season, um, Ben Simmons has more turnovers than made field goals. So he has three turnovers, two made field goals, not in transition, so in the half-court offense, Zero made field goals in the half court in the clutch time in 34 clutch time minutes. He has fewer clutch time assists than Tobias Harris, four versus five. Only has two free throw attempts and his usage rate plummets down to 12%. So I think 34 minutes of clutch time play is not that small of a sample size when it comes to how you're going to grade a guy. I mean, his usage rate this season is lower than it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. It's only at 19% compared to last year's 22%. But I think that it's no surprise that it's no surprise that Simmons needs to be better for this team to unlock their true potential. I think when the front office was constructing this team, I think everyone kind of is relying on Ben Simmons to be there for them in the clutch. And if this continues in the playoffs to where a guy like Simmons is just going to be left alone outside the three-point line, and um, they're going to put big men on him who like to just sit in the paint. And um, I think that Brett Brown is going to have to like, like, what do you do? You're going to have to take him out. Like, so I I think for for Ben Simmons, um, for the, for the Sixers to be better in the playoffs, and especially for them to win games, Ben Simmons just has to be better and. I don't think that necessarily means he needs to develop a three-point shot right now or be a threat from outside the three-point arc for the rest of this season. I think that's something that will come with the progression of his career, hopefully. But I think that he needs to – 
I don't know if it's him shying away or if it's him not getting the opportunities, but if one of your five guys who is definitely going to be there at the end of clutch time isn't doing anything for you and you're not going to take him out, you're not going to win playoff series. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, so I had the Sixers before the season, um, did like a whole like predictions card on Twitter, and the same dude who posted the initial one did a new one. All of mine were basically the same. Switch Zion for Rookie of the Year because I don't know how much he's going to play. Um, maybe I could switch a couple other ones, but stuck the same for the most part, except I had replaced the Sixers with the Bucks. And there's three main reasons why I'm actually like, I wouldn't say legitimately concerned, but like approaching that with the Sixers. Um, Zach Lowe wrote, wrote a great piece that they're just embracing this like clunkiness a little bit, which at least like they look, it's no secret. Like they don't think they're this offensive juggernaut, but I just don't know if embracing it is just going to be enough. Like first, the, my big reason, and you mentioned it is Ben Simmons. He's, he's not been a huge factor this year and the clutch points. That's excellent. Like those are excellent stats and they back up what I'm seeing. Like, if he's if they're gonna just sag off him, which limits the space for everyone else, he's basically their only like initiator on the floor. Except maybe if they feed and beat in the high or low post, like Simmons needs to initiate everything. So if he can't shoot and he just goes to hide in the dunker spot, and like look, I know they they already extended him. He was an All Star last year. I'm not taking anything away from him. Like he's a very very good basketball player. But if he's not gonna shoot or even get like draw any gravity towards the end of the game, like I just don't know where you go from there and considering he's your primary initiator and their secondaries aren't very strong they're filled with a lot of catch and shoot guys and three and d guys and long tall wings like that's really concerning to me second the depth is i mean you just look up and down like Korkmaz has been awesome for them this year like he's been unreal but do you wonder like is that going to slow down a little bit and I don't think Thibel is ready to be a, a positive rotation player. Definitely not in the playoffs. And are we now we're talking about Shake Milton and Trey Burke? Like, I just don't know. Like, I really don't. And just though, like looking around with their initiation and their off and the team, the way the way the team is built, like, I just think I don't know if they're ready to win the East. And I think they could disappoint in the playoffs just because it's so damn clunky. And it's just it's it's hard to watch, actually. Of course, I'm blanking on my third point, so I'm going to let you talk. Hopefully, it'll come back to me, but those are my main two ones anyways. Just Simmons not producing and the depth. Like The depth is really, really scary, and we know in the playoffs, like you need to run seven or eight guys that can all contribute. That's how the Raptors won the title last year, and that's just the most effective way to do this. And with Simmons just being a zero in the fourth quarter and just like Simmons not taking any threes this year is an, is an absolute joke to me. Just like shoot the ball. What have you been doing for the past four years? Like It's obscene that it's like a celebration when he takes and makes one three. Like That's what I can at least applaud Giannis for trying them because the defense has to respect it. Simmons, you can just sag and he basically just becomes a max deal dunker for the entire playoffs once you get into the fourth quarter. Right. That just doesn't work yeah, for me. I, so I'm I think that erring the on the side of getting legitimately worked. have a lot of uh identity and soul searching to do um i think once they know who they are um instead of just being that like clunky team that's gonna zag while everyone zigs um i think that once they really um find out who they are stop relying on guys like josh richardson and start relying on their stars to 
carry them in these games. Um, I think that uh, that's when they'll really become one of those big time title contenders in the NBA. Like they've they thought they were going to be over these past couple of years. Like the money's starting to pile up. It's time to time to put one. Uh, it's time to get to the finals. Yeah, I no, I completely agree. And the, my third point came back to me. Um, I was trying to find out a, like a reliable source who turned down who. Um, I couldn't figure it out. Conflicting reports everywhere, but not bringing. And I don't think Jimmy Butler necessarily wanted to return to Philly next year or this year. I think he wanted his own team, and I think he's happy living in Miami, running the show there. But I mean, during the playoffs last year, Jimmy was huge for them. Like. He was the guy when he was like, give me the ball. I'll, I'll take care of it. Because like we said, Ben is not that guy. Tobias, they are paying him an awful lot of money to basically catch and shoot threes. So like that contract is going to catch up to them eventually. Josh Richardson, I, I love him. Like he's really good on both ends of the floor, but at the end of the day, he's not Jimmy. Like when, when the game is on the line and you need a bucket, he's not Jimmy in terms of creation. And he was huge for them. So yeah. not having that alpha dog in there. I think come playoff yeah, time, they're, they're going to look a little lost without having Jimmy. They did and that was my Jimmy, big point. Just not having like Jimmy like there, that. you know? Like, I think someone has to tell Brett Brown that, hey, uh, Jimmy's on another team now. He's not necessarily yep. like, coming back to you guys. I think it's time to um, kind of embrace these guys who you have. And um, if you're going to have Tobias for five years um, going forward, I think if you give him the keys to the offense or – um, start putting more pressure on Joel to be that dominant post presence. Um, I think that would just work out better for not nece- not only these guys' personal numbers and personal um, stats and stuff like that, but I think it would just make the the team more confident and the team better. Yeah, one one hundred percent. And we talked about the Bucks and the Sixers. I think the Bucks are the favorite to make the finals this year, but however, it hasn't been talked about a lot. Not a huge story, but it's the elephant in the room. Um, How do you think this year's playoff run will affect Giannis' future in Milwaukee? No matter what happens, um, Giannis will will be there. Giannis will be resigned um, on the Bucks. I think that if they go out really early in the playoffs, will he resign as? Um, enthusiastically, and will it be that he'll be will he be that quick to resign? Definitely not. But um, I think that Giannis is so important to not only the team itself, but the city and the state. And um, he's just so um, so much so embraced the Midwest, and um, like not many people have. Um, I think that the franchise values him um, more than any other player in franchise history, obviously. Um, and I think that Giannis there's a reason why this has kind of been low key and this hasn't been that much that this hasn't been talked about that much because when it comes down to it, the players and the agents are the ones who kind of put those stories out there. And um, like with the AD stuff, when he wants to get out of New Orleans, you kind of heard the rumblings that he wasn't going to resign and they should trade him to get rid of him and stuff like that. But this year, um, even though AD didn't extend or anything like that, there hasn't been that much rumbling that AD except for that one Chicago video that he um, was talking to those kids or whatever. Um, there hasn't been that much that AD wants to leave LA. And mm-hmm. I think that's for a reason. I think AD's thriving in LA, having a good time, playing good basketball. And I think it's 
a lot of the same stuff with Giannis and um, I could go all personal um, in terms of Giannis as a person and how uh, the Bucks really brought him in and uh, let him grow into the person he is today, all that fun stuff. But I think that Giannis is very, very likely to resign and it would take something catastrophic for him not to be a Milwaukee Buck going forward. Yeah, I completely agree. And I do think the personal stuff matters. Like, by all accounts, he's a hardworking, loyal guy. And I think he feels like he owes a lot to Milwaukee. Like, they they took a chance on him when not a lot of other teams are going to. And the city, like, I'm obviously you would know this way more than me. But, like, from all, like, looking at it from the outside picture, it looks like Milwaukee just, like, adopted him as their son. Like, they love him there. And it would just, for a loyal guy like that, it would take, I think it would take a a lot for him to just leave and walk out the door. Does, does that mean he signs like if they get bounced in the second round or even in the Eastern conference finals, like, does that mean he's in the door the next day signing the supermax? No, probably not. But like when push comes to shove, I'm really, really reluctant to think that he would take uh, that. He would leave Milwaukee because he couldn't win. Like, I think he's determined and he takes responsibility for a lot of things. And I just don't see him jumping ship because he doesn't see the results that he thinks like that. he can get. I, Wherever you I think he's going to be a buck for life. And because we're both interested in the NBA and interested in sports, you'll kind of get this exposure to, um, like, for example, a sports business club at Wisconsin and um, just sports marketing class, stuff like that. Just And Bucks guys coming to town to speak to students and stuff like that. The Every time these guys come, it's all the questions about Giannis. Are we going to resign Giannis? Giannis, is he going to stay? Is he going to go? What's going to happen? The Every single guy from the organization, every player, every fan, every front office executive that I've ever heard talk about Giannis' extension does not use the word if. Everyone uses the, the word when. It's not if we resign Giannis. It's when we sign Giannis to the Supermax. So mm-hmm. even hearing that from all different levels of the organization, from the fans to the to the people who work in the front office, to the people working ticketing, it's it's really something that like I would be so so surprised if he did not resign with Milwaukee. Yeah, completely agree. Um, and we again we talked about I think maybe the two heavyweights in terms of the Bucks and Sixers, yeah, but the, the East is kind of sneaky. Um, is there anywhere else that you think heat. could make a finals um, push? But I'm going to say the Raptors. Um, I think that the Raptors have um, a lot of elements to them that make them very interesting when it comes to uh, playoff time. They have that experience, obviously, winning the, winning the finals last year. And Yes, they don't have Kawhi, but they do have this guy um, by the name of Pascal Siakam. Um who is developed into, um, and obviously I'm sarcastic when I say that, but mm. he has developed. He's developed into a guy who the team can really rely on to score down the clutch, and he's playing out of his <laughs> mind um, this season. And people are saying that he could win Most Improved Player for back-to-back years, which is unheard of. Um, but a guy averaging 26 and eight, um, able to do, to distribute and playing next to a guy like Kyle Lowry, who we saw increased his um, play in the in the finals, and Van Vliet 
And now you look at this roster of um, of guys and a lot of these people who are playing minutes for the Raptors on other teams are, would just be role players who you don't know if they would produce in the playoffs. Have this finals experience and this finals success. It's not guys that have gone to the finals and lost. And um, This team's been there and they've won it. And they have a coach that's been there and they've won it. And they play in an arena that's hard to win in. And um, mm-hmm. I just think that uh, you look at their veteran leadership and young talent. Um, I think the Raptors are being slept on as uh, not only a fun team to watch, but a team that can make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, as big of a Heat guy as I am, I don't think they have enough, and I can't make that sexy pick. Um, in terms of the Raptors, I think, yeah, you made a really good point with Siakam just becoming one of the league's best players right now. I mean, that's in, indisputable. And just knowing that they've been there before and they know how to do it. Um, with, even with all that being said, I don't know if they have enough. I'm going to go with the Celtics. I think the Celtics can make a sneaky good push and I just, I love all their pieces they have. I'm going to talk about them as one of my favorite teams. So I don't want to get too much into it, but just in terms of the playoffs, like we're talking about a team who's also been there before that team was one game away, one quarter away from going to the finals really early in their careers. And yes, that was probably like the weakest Eastern conference or any conference that I've ever seen or can remember, but still like a finals trip is a finals trip and playing in game seven against LeBron James is valuable. So all those guys have gotten better. They really love Kemba. Kemba has been awesome. They're flying everywhere around. Like Stevens has been really, really good this year. And I mean, my main worry I would guess would be the center just because I think they're like Tice has been great, but Canner, I mean, you know, can't play Canner. He's really hard to play in the playoffs. Robert Williams, maybe he comes along, but I'm yeah, still, I don't know if he's there Celtics yet. Fans if they can figure out the five position, I think um, they they're love a to watch, to make the finals. Uh, all the Celtics games and love to t- tell me about how Kemba is so much better than Kyrie for this team and um, all that fun stuff. And they've definitely been off to a crazy hot start. Um, I mean, they're 12 and four, um, second in the East right now. So um, wins don't really lie and Kemba's hurt right now. And, um, Marcus Smart's having another great year, but I I think that if the Celtics were to um make the finals, I don't think that's the craziest thing at all to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I I, I, I mean, agree. I wish um, the Knicks were better. Any of the last East they takes are really hard. They're really hard to watch. Um, kind of. Kind of makes watching the Knicks, yeah, the Knicks are rough. painful, and I just, I don't know. I hope RJ develops this year, and we come back next year. But how many times am I going to say next year with the teams I root for? I mean, it's, I'm kind of getting sick of it. But um, the East is good this year. I think the East is um, deeper than it's been before, and yeah. the playoffs are going to be really fun, especially once um, Kyrie finds his footing in Brooklyn and Oladipo comes back in Indiana. Indiana, so. Um, I'm really excited about the East, uh, the top teams in the East. Um, and the bottom of the East is a different story, but um, I think the East is going to have one of the best playoff seasons it's had in a while, um, especially because for the last five years, everybody's all anyone's been saying is all the talent wants to go out West and um, the West is where the best players are and stuff like that. But I think the East is 
just as good, if not better, than the West this year. So it's time for people to stop sleeping on the East. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. The East is deep, and for the first time in a couple of years, like the first, I'm actually going to be excited about some first round matchups. You can't just pencil the top seeds in and move on to the next round. But yeah, I think we hit it all in the East. Moving on to the West, you've said you've watched a ton of the LA teams getting that extra hour. I've caught my fair share. Um, I've very publicly been on the Clippers side of this, so I wanted yeah, to I hear think, where you um, stand in and terms of why through June, the lens of the who's making Clippers a further the answer here. Um, I think the Lakers right now are very similar to the team that they'll be um, when it comes to playoff time in terms of LeBron carrying them, and he's obviously having MVP caliber season right now, and um, playing next to AD has really unlocked a lot of good things for both them and the role players helping them, guys who they weren't expecting, like Dwight Howard and Rondo, and um, they're getting a lot of help. I think that the Clippers are definitely going to make it farther in June. Um, just watching the end of these games, and um, especially because they've been on national TV a lot, the Clippers, it's really, really fascinating to me to see, um, honestly, when it comes down to the stretch, Lou Williams is their go-to ball handler, go-to shot maker, go-to scorer when it comes down to the crunch time of these games. And does that mean that it's because he's the best player on the team? Obviously not. People are trying to shut down PG and Kawhi and with PG just coming back and how can he play with Kawhi? They're not always playing together at the same time, but I feel like Lou will. They are 13-5. to It's not like they're a 500 team, but um, just the way that he's been able to keep this team afloat while they're still trying to find out their identity, I think has been really, really essential and helpful to them. And I think that it definitely shouldn't be underestimated the impact that the young core, um, of not the young core, but the core players that they kept from last year's team, guys like Montrez and Beverly um, and Lou Will, have really been able to make sure this team is playing up to Doc's standards and they're able to play as successfully as um, as they want to, but I think once it gets down to um, June, if they make the finals, if they make the Western Conference finals, the team is going to look a lot different than it does right now. I think Kawhi um, in the playoffs is obviously a different animal, and PG, although he hasn't had incredible playoff success in his career, um, I think that playing next to a guy like Kawhi, he's definitely... Um, personally had some good success in the playoffs but I think that will soon translate to team success and um, I just think the Clippers have not even touched into the potential they have as a dominant team on offense Um, I mentioned with Lou Will and all that stuff but they can really throw any kind of lineup they want to at you and they could any lineup they throw you can, can can survive on the defensive end with some of the guys they have on the team like Kawhi, PG Beverly Harold, these guys are um, always being discussed in the first team all defense, that kind of conversation. So I think the Clippers are um, haven't even tapped into what they're going to become in June. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I would say the only roadmap that the Lakers have to beating this team in a seven game series is just like either one injuries to one of the two main stars or just like that they haven't 
just still don't know their identity late in the season because they haven't the whole roster hasn't been playing together a lot. But like other than that, if we're assuming both these teams are healthy and they both find their footing, like the Clippers roster is just one of my favorite rosters like I, I can ever remember in the league. Like yeah, I was a huge I like the Warriors, like but just how this team is put together with like we talked about the wing archetype the wing two way archetype that can create being one of them being the most valuable in my opinion. And they probably have the two best guys right now in Kawhi and Paul George. And Kawhi's playmaking has taken a huge step, which is just frightening to imagine. PG is working his way back. And then you have this side action of the Lou Williams Montrez pick and roll, which is just fascinating. Lou can do a million different things. Trez's energy is just awesome. And then going down off the bench, like you bring in reliable pieces like Jermichael Green, Mo Harkless, like I even we'll see who they play, but just Terrence Mann, like I I liked him as an underrated prospect, giving them good minutes coming off the bench. Like they have Zubach, Pat Bev, you mentioned like this team is just re- like Shamit. Shamit's been hurt, so I kind of forgot about him. But Shamit's been all- he was also in the playoffs last year, and like this team just up and down is really, really good. And I just think they're kind of levels ahead of the Lakers. Like, yes, the Lakers have two MVP candidates right now in LeBron and Anthony Davis, who have both had amazing seasons. But if you just look up and down that roster, like, from the I just don't think the Lakers have enough teams to beat the, best the defensive Clippers in the seven games. Uh, I really don't. In the league, um, they've been super impressive. Um, on the defensive end, and that's been a point of emphasis, as many people have reported um, over the offseason, was how can we put more effort in, into the defensive end? How can we be better, um, not only on offense, but more importantly on defense, which has resulted in them having a higher defensive rating and higher steals and blocks um, than the Clippers. So obviously the talent may say that and the roster may, on paper, it looks like the Clippers are a bit better defensive team, but um, right now, the, the the Lakers are outplaying the Clippers when it comes to the defensive end. Yeah, uh, I mean that's fair enough. Um, and like, like, look, the Lakers have won fifteen out of the last or fourteen out of the last fifteen. Like, they're absolutely rolling. LeBron has been incredible, just passing the ball. He's unreal. Anthony Davis has been great blocking right. three shots a game, but just like the depth we talked about with the Sixers, like yeah, I just good. don't I'm think good. they I have think those guys be, at the end of the day. I mean, that, that's all I really have to say with that. Are you good with those LA teams? Yeah. Yeah, we can only hope. And so the final thing before we close this out, um, I wanted to get your three favorite teams that you've been watching this year. Um, Not best, just... They're on TV. I'm inclined to watch um, them. And yeah, we'll so switch I'll off one one. So your Minnesota. first, not necessarily order, but um, one of your favorite teams. I think is, that I've always been intrigued by um, Andrew Wiggins. I've always thought he was kind of just a bust, and I wrote him, wrote him off and stuff like that. But I've um, always been amazed by him and Carl uh, Anthony Towns and the other kind of guys they have. I'm really – I don't think they're one of the best teams in the West. I think they'll be fighting for the eighth seed and stuff, but – I I just think Cat is having such a um, good season. He's averaging what twenty six mm-hmm. and thirteen right now. Um, he's been awesome, and he's in that MVP top ten or whatever it is. He's so, been and he's been um, awesome. I think him and the development of Wiggins not on, not yet on the defensive side of the ball, but him just being more aggressive, um, and him being a more 
um, just like him being there. Like he hasn't really been that productive so far in his career, but it kind of feels like these two number one picks are starting to fill each other out and finally starting to put something together that is entertaining and fun. So obviously their role players aren't good enough, I don't think, for them to win a playoff series yet. But uh, the duo of Towns and Wiggins is finally starting to come full circle, which has been really entertaining for me to watch. Yeah, for sure. Um, my first team, I have the Celtics. I talked about them a lot. We've talked about them a lot on this podcast between Tatum and then my sneaky finals pick for them. But a lot of the stems actually with like, I'm like just obsessed with watching Marcus Smart play defense. Like he is so fun to watch the way he just like defends literally anyone on the court. He scraps, he's smart. And like, I kind of like, I didn't write him off earlier in his career, but I was a little like less enamored because his shot selection was so poor. He visibly couldn't shoot, but like now he's shooting the ball a lot better. His defense is just awesome. Like I, I, ahead of Isaac, I think he's the leader for defensive player of the year and I would love for a guard to win it. Um, I don't even know if you can say he's a guard on that end just because he literally will check anyone, but smart has been awesome. Kemba has been really fun to watch so far and it's kind of refreshing, like seeing that Celtics team without Kyrie and just bringing, uh, have them bringing new energy. Um, Grant Williams has struggled, which kind of sucks. I liked him a lot before the draft. But hopefully he figures it out. Uh, we talked about Tatum. Tatum's been awesome. Jalen Brown kind of figuring, he's figuring out his way. And I really just like that team. I'm a huge Brad Stevens yeah, I, fan. So I the fact that they're the executing the and playing play. well, they're, they're one of my favorite teams to watch this year. For um, sure. That kind of brings me to my next team that I wanted to talk about. The unselfishness and the balance <laughs> um, that I think goes underrated. And um, a team like the Denver Nuggets, um, I have them next on my list as teams I like to watch just because I appreciate the way they play. And um, a guy in Jamal Murray, who mm-hmm. um, I think is starting to become one of those uh, point guards in the league who we have to start talking about um, when we talk about that first tier of point guards. Um, he's not there in terms of playmaking, but um, he leads the team in scoring. And their mantra and style doesn't really favor a guy to score like 27 points and take all the headlines and stuff like that. But, um, I love the way they play, obviously, through Jokic, who um, is, isn't necessarily having a bad season, but hasn't been getting that much national attention, only averaging 16, 10, and 6 this year. He's not really putting up the crazy triple-doubles or anything like that, but he's still one of the most unique players in the league when it comes to big men who could distribute, and mm-hmm. um, their depth is really intriguing. Guys like Paul Millsap, who's having a good year, and Gary Harris, Will Barton, um and additions in Jeremy Grant. Um I just think the Nuggets don't get that much national attention, but personally I love to watch them play and I really appreciate the style of uh basketball they play because not only is it balanced and includes everyone, but it's pretty unique. There's not really many people who play like the Nuggets, so I think they're really fun to watch. Yeah, I'm a big Nuggets fan as well. They didn't make my cut for the final three, but big fan of Jokic. Um, I think Jamal Murray is making that. He's progressing towards where he's actually going to be worth his contract. Um, a ton of good pieces. Malik Beasley, Gary Harris. Love Monte Morris coming off the bench. Hopefully Michael Porter Jr. can find some minutes. But yeah, big fan of that team as well. Um, my second team, I have the Heat. Um, obviously, we talked about Bam earlier, but... The heat culture is real and it's absolutely awesome. Like 
The rookies with Nunn and Hero have been sensational. I love the fire that Jimmy plays with. Spo is an unbelievable coach. Just finding guys like Duncan Robinson, former Michigan Wolverine, who I love lighting it up. Um, just everyone kind of plays their part. They're I don't like you brought them up as like a sexy finals pick. I don't know if they're that good, but just like watching them right now as a regular season basketball team, they're so much fun to watch. They bring that swag, that grittiness. They're tough, and they just play with a chip yeah, on their I shoulder. And the I love it. I'm a huge fan of watching because, them play, and definitely um, one of my favorite teams in the league. It's it's rare, I think, in today's NBA for a team to kind of middle out over the last couple of years, like the Heat did, and bank on their culture to carry them to wins and stuff like that. And um, you got to appreciate a guy like Pat Riley who. He, like like Bill Simmons always says, like you get Pat Riley into the room and anything can happen when it comes to signing a free agent, something like that. So um, I love that pick in the Heat. We talked about Bam, obviously, but Kendrick Nunn is electrifying, and um, I love the Heat. Uh, my last team, um, I hate that I'm only sticking to the West, but um, yeah. I, I think the West is super entertaining. Um we mentioned the Clippers, so I'm not going to talk about them. I love watching them play. I also love watching Dallas play for um, obvious reasons. But my last team is going to be Houston. Um, not just because I think that they have a chance to be really, really good in the West this year. But in terms mm-hmm. of fun to watch, uh, Houston is definitely, if not my favorite, definitely in the top three. Um, I love watching Harden play. I think that there's not much else not many other guys in the league who I can watch and just be super glued to the screen for the entire time. And um, when it comes to the team's success going forward, um, they need Eric Gordon back. Um, Capella hasn't been healthy throughout the entire year, but Harden is, we haven't talked about him at all much this, this podcast, but He's averaging 38 points. He's taking an absurd number of threes, absurd number of shots, absurd number of free throws. And him and Russ next to each other is a work in progress for sure. But I also think right now it's still very intriguing because Russ has always been that guy when you're kind of just like, he doesn't really need to be shooting that much to make an impact because he can create for others, but he also loves to shoot. So just all these different elements in terms of how they mesh and how they work together to create something that's mm-hmm. good. And I'm happy. I'm so happy that early in the season, when they got off to that slow start, all that anybody wanted to talk about was the Rockets defense and how it wasn't good enough. And they've really improved on the defensive end um, over the last couple of games, which has resulted in wins. So that's, I'm happy that people, when they talk about the Rockets are now done talking about, Oh, they lost their defensive coordinator and, um, they aren't going to be good in the playoffs because they don't play defense, but I'm happy that's kind of moved away. And now we're talking about how um, special James Harden is and how incredible on the offensive end that he's been this year. Really special. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm very happy you talked about Houston because I was deciding between two teams And I really wanted to talk about the team that I'm about to say, but if you didn't talk about Houston, we couldn't go the whole pod without talking about Harden. Um, You hit it on all points. I absolutely love watching him play. I can't stand for the critics that say they don't like his style of basketball. Like, yeah, I know it's not for everyone, but like, if you don't watch him and you're not absolutely mesmerized, I don't really know what you're watching. He's 
he really revolutionary. Is. Like and he's revolutionary. Obviously, he hasn't had success in the finals yet or anything like that. But he's been top two MVP yeah. for the last four years, something like that. And I think it's he's one of my favorite players in the league, if not my favorite. So Houston definitely rounds out my list. But now I'm really interested to see who this this team that you're going to talk about. So I'm going to say the team, it's kind of revolved around like one guy, one and a half guys maybe, but they're not very good. My fa- my third favorite team is the Memphis Grizzlies because I absolutely cannot get enough of John Morant. Like, I don't know how much of you yeah, watch I, of them because like they're not very no, good. I, I've, I've caught a lot ja of Ja has been insane. Um, honestly, most of it has been pass of highlights and not league pass, if you know what I mean. But um, I think... Ja has been a great um, revelation for this team. Has really sparked uh, a lot of, even though they haven't been winning, it's kind of been a bright spot throughout the entire season. But um, he's really been like fearless. And that's not just because he like drives and tries to dunk on big men, but um, watching Ja is really incredible. And he's hit some late game shots and he puts his team on his back a lot. And, Really fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, and that was the exact word I was going to use, fearless. Um, Just him strapping up Kyrie in the final seconds, him just going straight at shot blockers at the end of the game, getting game-winning buckets, just having that swagger about him. He's absolutely awesome. And if Jaron Jackson Jr. could ever stay a foul trouble, out of foul trouble, like, He's one of my favorite dudes to watch just because, I mean, his team defense is just on another level. Brandon Clark, we talked about, mentioned him earlier, is like that undersized center mold. Like with those three guys, that, that's definitely one of my favorite teams to tune into, but mainly circled around Ja because he's just absolutely electrifying to watch. Um, It makes the lottery loss hurt right, even more as a Knicks um, fan, but is, just is in terms of as a basketball guy, you have to appreciate what Ja's done. He, yeah, he's been... He's been really fun to watch, and right aside now, from yeah. just like the right numbers, now, yeah, he's getting to the line and he's shooting well from three and all that. But like you mentioned, it's the intangibles that have made Ja like really fun, and be, especially because he didn't get that much national attention in college. People don't really like the. I'm sure the Murray State fans aren't very surprised by how he's attacking the hoop and stuff like that. But to have his his game kind of finally start to be projected on a national level has mm-hmm. been really fun. Yeah, agreed on all any points. Takes, um, that wraps up um, what I had in, in for planned here. Do you have but, any other takes um, that you want I'm to air really out before we go? Interested to see how the how the West plays out this year because I think that the West has um, been one of these conferences, especially throughout the last couple of years, that the team who is number one, um, and the East has been this way too, but the team who kind of is good in the regular season isn't necessarily good in the playoffs. Um, like a team like Denver, a team like Denver may win the West, but will the Clippers be the better team when it comes to the playoffs? So I think um, the top and bottom of the Western Conference playoff race is really what I'm looking forward to watching the most this season. Um, and obviously, can Lucas sustain all of this? And um, 
will he be able to lead the Mavericks to the playoffs is really what I'm watching. How about you? What are you, what are you most looking forward to at the end of the season? Mm, um, don't have anything off the top of my head. I think you kind of covered it with the West. Um, in terms of just like the tiers aren't as clear as they have been in the past. Um, the bottom of the playoff race, like for both teams or both conferences, has been really interesting. I would, yeah, I would say the thing I'm say. most looking what forward you, to and most intrigued yeah, by, and how uh, we didn't talk about the Brogdon. Pacers at all yeah, on this podcast. Yeah, Brogdon. So, yeah. Yep, that's, I mean, that's exactly where I was going. Brogdon has been incredible this year, efficient. He's creating, he's creating for himself and others. And I think they're the perfect pair because they can both play on or off the ball. But that's definitely yeah, a storyline I'm watching to see how they mesh. Um, I think it's already. definitely going to work out, but um, it might take time. And but that is, having that's probably the one thing having I'm looking a guy forward who to. You know, is your number one guy um, throughout an NBA regular season can really um, translate into wins as we've seen in the past. So I think once, it's pretty amazing um, that without Oladipo, they're still 10 and six and um, able to beat up on the bad teams in the East, hopefully um, and stay afloat until Oladipo comes back. But once he comes back, I think um, people are going to start giving them a little more respect. Yeah, I, I agree on the respect and the team's going to bring it more, but They've been really good. They've been really good so far. So credit to them. Um, that wraps up. Course, wraps up the pod. Thank you soon. so much for tuning um, in, Sam. Appreciate you joining me. Pleasure as stuff, always. But, and, um, yeah, great to have you on. Another great call, and talk to you soon. Stuff, but um, for sure. All right, thanks, man.